This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Plan on paying less for the coverage you need with Farm Bureau Health Plans. Get a quote today at FBHP.com. I'm Mike Keith. The Titans held off the Falcons 28-23, bringing their record to 3-4. and four. I had a chance to sit down with Mike Vrabel on Monday to discuss what happened against the Falcons and what comes next as the Titans travel to Pittsburgh on Thursday. Here's my conversation with Mike Vrabel on the OTP. Mike, after the Baltimore game into the bye week, you challenged the defensive line, made it clear you wanted to see more pressure on the quarterback overall. The stats show they got it. Were you pleased with the way they responded to your challenge? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that they um, they, they did try to attack and they tried to get the ball out and, you know, use the move that, that we were, you know, what they feel like are their bread and butter moves and then tried to uh, have some, some compliments off of it. I think that they they did do a nice job overall of, of affecting a quarterback and, you know, we were able to get one football off of them. We batted a couple passes. So, again, that's the step in the right direction. Coming off the field at one point, Tier Tart was greeted by the head coach who told him good job for something. Tart had been missing from the last couple games. Did he add a, a punch or a bit of a spark with his presence back in there? Well, I wouldn't put it all on Tier, but it was good to have him back there. I think he, um, you know, did did some things inside that that helped us he stayed on his feet sometimes when they try to cut him and you know again he can be disruptive in there and he has to understand how he has to play and mix in the the attacking you know penetration with playing with his his hands and, and working down the line of scrimmage to to help us you know when they run in between the tackles and then try to get vertical here on the passes so that was uh it was good to have him back best performance of the year for jeffrey simmons yeah, I mean, I think Jeffrey plays with, with great effort and was able to affect the quarterback and, you know, really helped us in the run game. It wasn't just like he was looking to get sacks. I mean, he helped us down the line of scrimmage and, and hustled. And, you know, they, they have a good scheme. And, and, you know, Jeff was able to, to stay up. Uh, they tried to cut him sometimes. And, you know, he saw him being very active uh, throughout the football game. Do you feel like Harold Landry is beginning to get in more and more of a groove? Well, every week is different. You know, last last week was was good. Um, you know, and I'm sure he would like to have the the roughing back, but you know, he factored and you know he was able to to use the the silent cadence to his advantage. So all those things were were very positive, and um, you know, every week is different. But it was good to to see some production from him. A little hard to see what the roughing specifically was in in your feeling. What did they call there? He hit him in the neck with, okay. with his with his hand or arm or forearm. Like there was, there was no question with that call. Okay, let's talk about the secondary a little bit. Uh, Terrell Edmonds and Eric Garrier get their opportunities. How did you think the two of them played? Uh, you know, I think Garrier was a lot. You know, that went from uh, not a whole lot of snaps for Eric to to a lot, and, and he he did his role uh, well on returning punts. Um, defensively, I think he just has to get some more reps and. You know, continue to try to to understand what we're trying to do with each and every call, and you know, settle down a little bit. There was some good plays, and you know, some things that we'll have to get fixed here quickly on Thursday. Looking at Will Levis and his performance as a as a first time quarterback, obviously the statistics say very good things. Uh, I know there's going to be some tempered part of that from from the standpoint that he's come from programs where he's played in a lot of big games. He's had good moments. He's had bad moments. 
his handling of the good, I would guess, is something you're not worried about. No, I mean, I think that we all have to, you know, when when we uh, when we lose, say little; when we win, say less. Is probably what we should all, you know, hope to attain. And you know, there were some some great plays, some great protections. You know, receivers helped him out a couple times with balls that, you know, were were maybe thrown behind him. Um, so that that plays into it, which is great. You know, I mean, the quarterback helps the receivers. The receivers help the quarterback at times. Um, but there was, you know, good command, and you know, again, we weren't sitting there with, you know, four or five uh, procedural penalties, delay of games, false starts. Um, so that that was that was good to see from from a quarterback making his first start. It's always a challenge to get ready for a Thursday night game. Is it an extra challenge in some ways for Will Levis to get ready for a Thursday night game? Um, I mean, whoever you know, whether it's Will, whether it's Ryan. Um, I, I just think that we all have to make sure that we understand how how pushed up everything is. That today is a, is a Thursday, and we have to look at it like that. And you know, we're going to play on Sunday night, so we've, we've got a few days here. But we also have to put our minds into the fact that today is this Thursday, and we've got to go work. Estimation that uh, if Hubbard is unable to go, that Andre Dillard will again play left tackle, and Nicholas Petit Frere will stay at right tackle. Well, we would have two choices. It would be, you know, Jalen Duncan or or Dre. And so, you know, right now I uh, would imagine, you know, Jalen being active for the game, not sure that we'll get Hubbard. Um, and if that's the case, then we'll kind of see how the week of practice goes and how we feel. But I would say that everybody that hears needs to be prepared as a starter. Were you pleased with the way that Andre Dillard responded yesterday when Hubbard got hurt? Yeah, I mean, respond. Like, it's just, again, it's pro football. We all have a job. And whether you're a starter or whether you're waiting to go in there and get an opportunity, that's, that's what, we, what we have to do. And it's what everybody else does. And so, yeah, it was, it was good. You know what I mean? I was happy to see him come in there and help us and be ready to go and, you know, um, help us win. What did you do well in the run game against the Falcons? I think there wasn't a ton of negative yardage runs. We were able to stay on track. We pushed some piles. We were close on a few. You know, had some seven, eight, nine-yard runs that um, were really good. We popped one. We almost got Derek past the free safety. You know, Tajay did a heck of a job on his. So, you know, there weren't any home runs, but there were, uh, you know, some some good, very efficient runs that that allowed us to to keep things and be efficient in, in third down. Ask you a little bit about Tajay Spears from a, a mental standpoint. So he has a lot of plays that don't go right early in the ball game and into the second half, and yet he still pops the big run. His patient, patience and maturity as a young back really showing up that he knows you just have to keep basically hitting the rock. Yeah, and he, he's going to make a play. You know, I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time. But the biggest thing is, is we trust him in protection. And, and I know this goes back to training camp, but – you know, they blitzed early on, and he slid over there and, and picked up his protection. And, you know, looks like he's done it for a lot of years. And so, again, we know that he's going to gain yards eventually, whether we throw it to him or we hand it to him. Uh, but, the, but the protection piece is something that I know he takes a lot of pride in. On paper, it appeared as though your special teams had a very good day. Did it look that way when you watched the video? Well, except for the, the two penalties, you know, that were, you know, dumb pretty much a simple way to put it um cost us field position that we had uh earned and gained uh, would have liked to see the kickoff be better 
uh, instead of letting them kind of cut back against us into the boundary. That could have been a really another really big momentum, you know, creating play had we tackled them inside the 15 yard line. But we punted the ball well and uh, fielded punts. So you know, it, we, we executed the fake. We weren't able to get any points off of it, but. You know, we just need to keep going. We 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 need to be able to p- play aggressive in that phase without penalties, and we also, you know, need to take some pride into in creating some field position and momentum in that unit. Good to win. Maybe even better that you showed the template yesterday, doing what you want to do on offense, defense, and special teams. And if you do it even better than that, you feel like you can play with anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like that. You know, I mean, as long as we can, you know, take care of the football. Um, you know, we had the the one unfortunate one, but you know, making sure that we're we're being efficient, we're staying out of third and long, we're not beating ourselves, and then then there are times where we don't do that, and you can see the difference. And uh, we hit some shots, we ran the football, we got off the field on third down at times, and then we come back and we give up a third and long and third and extra long, and so you know, there's glimpses of it, but there's also times where it's like, guys, this is again the whole conversation why we're going to win. But then this is also why we've lost. And so um, that was the message coming out of the bye week. And, you know, again, it's just we're close. And uh, we, we, we need, just need to tighten a few things up and, and get ready for Thursday night. Certainly have to do that against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh in prime time. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, if we don't take care of the football, we've got no chance. I mean, they've created 15 turnovers or you know, plus eight or whatever they are in a turnover margin. And um, – so that'll just be critical one starting there and not beating ourselves and penalties and um yeah you don't want to get behind the chains and in, in, in that or you know stadium with that type of pass rush and the guys that they have so you know th- those are all our, our our efficiency and our ability to to stay um true to the game is going to allow us uh to have the opportunity to win that's my monday talk with mike vrabel hey titans fans it's always Game on with Duncan. So grab a coffee and kick off the action, whether that's drinking a cup of coffee on your way to the game or grabbing one to go before watching the game at home. Duncan is always there to help you get your game on. Just like the pros, we need to be at our best come game time, which is why Duncan is the most important part of your game day ritual because it's always the best call for football. America runs on Duncan. As we wrap up, I remind you that SeatGeek is now the official ticketing partner of the Tennessee Titans. If you haven't heard the name yet, get used to it because you'll be hearing it a lot more this season. Whether you're buying or selling tickets to the Titans game or any live event in Nashville, SeatGeek is the place to do it. SeatGeek, the new official ticketing partner of the Tennessee Titans, so Titans fans can fan. The OTP continues with my Titans radio colleagues, Rhett Bryan and Ramon Foster. Rhett Bryan, I want to start with you in this segment. You have seen a lot of debuts from Titans quarterbacks. You've had a chance to witness more than one. Will Levis's was certainly spectacular statistically. Can you compare it with Marcus Mariota's debut against Tampa eight years ago? Well, I mean, the the touchdown count was similar. Um, The dominating performance was similar. But I think the difference for Will Levis is just what he can do on these deep shots, which is what we saw him do at Kentucky. And 
you know that that was the mark on him throughout the draft process. Is dude has a cannon, he can unleash it. But the thing is, is how quickly he can release and flick that thing to get it down the field. Now it doesn't hurt that he has DeAndre Hopkins in this equation, but um, I thought he was poised. I thought he did not hurry too much when the pocket was starting to narrow. Uh, in fact, one of those touchdowns he saw from laying on his back uh, and seeing how that went, but I thought his poise was good, and certainly I think this is a good confidence builder for him, and I don't think he lacked any of that to begin with. Ramon Foster, you have seen quarterback debuts in different ways in the NFL. What did you like most about Will Levis's performance against the Falcons? I think it was what Red just said a second ago, his poise, uh, his understanding of when to be uh, good down the field and when to check down and when to get rid of. We saw a lot of veteran things from him this week that you say to yourself, this is why it's good for quarterbacks to sit sometime. This is why it's good for them to just play the back burner and wait on their opportunities and take what's right in front of you whenever it's presented to you. It was amazing to watch him throw the ball the way he did because everybody brags on the big arm. But even on the, the the balls that was broken up by the defense, they were in the vicinity. And that's all you're asking from, for from a, a, a veteran quarterback, from a starting quarterback, franchise guy. Put it in the vicinity and let somebody else make the work. Or, hey, the guys on the other side, they get paid too in the NFL. So guess what? They're going to break up a couple passes. Um, he knew when to run it. The decision-making was very precise, I thought, from him. And I know it was a home crowd. I understand he had two weeks to, you know, prepare himself for this start potentially. And to get out there and not be a deer in the headlight. Because Atlanta had a good defense. I thought they had a good plan was to try to light him up. And for him to stand in that pocket, trust the offensive line who had their issues this year, right, and deliver the ball down the field, was good. You even saw him at the line of scrimmage at some points thinking, okay, this may be a little bit too much. I think one or two times he may have checked and communication was where you needed to be or the personnel. But all in all, nothing rattled him. And for a franchise guy who can potentially be your guy down the line, you want ice in his veins. And he delivered on that. He certainly did. Offensive line play, even after the loss of Chris Hubbard. Uh, Beforehand, let's start there. You liked Skaronsky playing next to Nicholas Petit-Frere on the left side. Why? Loved it. One, this is me. Uh, this is me looking down the line. I'm going to project a little bit. If you can get a, what was NPF, a second or third round? Third. If you can get a franchise guy in the second or third round, and you also get a first-round guard out of it, you got guys that you can lock up for years. We're talking about double-digit amounts, okay? Two, three contracts with these two guys. That's your left side. I love that type of stuff because as much as we love what Will can do or, you know, what Derek or whoever the running back is going to be, if you can get that O-line, specifically that left side together, you build everything else from from there moving forward. And then you got your own guys that's capable of doing that too. But the in-game play from those two guys, uh, as we talk about the Falcons game, was this. They had time to prep with one another, and you saw that. Their combo blocks were amazing. They were able to fight. I saw uh, Peter Skaronsky going to clean up guys. When you get a guy that knows, hey, I'm free, let me go find some help, that's when you're cooking with gas right there. So I was glad to see that. They didn't seem rattled. We always knew, you know, when Peter Skaronsky was drafted here, he's got the pedigree. He's got the understanding. It's like me teaching my kids how to play offensive line. You better know something. And he comes from a football family. 
he's acting that way with MPF. You get a level of motivation out of those dudes. But again, if you look at the trajectory of how they've gone the last couple of weeks in London and here in Nashville against the Falcons, it was this. Derek was able to bend the ball back to go to backside. We hadn't seen a whole lot of that. Even when they went front side on the left side, they worked together. And that's the good part about having young, motivated dudes is you get the small things going correctly. But, Mike, I'll be honest with you. I am being selfish in saying if you can project those two dudes to be here for at least eight more years together, that's some stability. Okay, but then Nicholas Petit Frere has to move to the right side when Chris Hubbard has the concussion. Andre Dillard goes back in at left tackle after he had been demoted. How did you think that went? One thing about the league, and we've seen it happen time and time again, whether it be guys here in this city that has gotten in trouble or lost jobs, the NFL is about the redemption story. And that's why most coaches will tell you, don't worry about your circumstances, just continue to work. you got to give Andre Dillard a tip of the hat. I don't care if it was just for half or whatever case may have been. Atlanta could have targeted him, and they did. Right, as far as rushing off the edge with him, and he held his own. I thought it was solid. Um, nobody tell you tuck your head and bury it in the sand whenever you lose your job, because it's essentially what happened with Andre Diller. Um, and he held up his end of the bargain. I don't know what's to come for him after this season or however it's gonna shake down, right? But he redeemed himself, and that's all you're ever asking for as a coach. Hey, I'm not out on you. It's just that we found a better alternative, and any time you're able to step in in those moments and redeem yourself, good. And just also a, a quick pat on the back for the young fella, Nicholas Petit Frere, going from left to right. That's a hard task to do, especially at tackle, because you got some of the best athletes in the world that are rushers now. That's what's so crazy about it is these dudes are consistently running four five, four six, some of them even four fours, and he went from the left side to the right side and didn't really miss a hitch. Nicholas Petit Frere is not only big and athletic, but one of the smarter guys on the football team, too, which gives you the ability to swap him at a moment's notice. He knows what to do. Couple that with, I think, the thing that helped him as much as anything, his acumen certainly is a part of it. But the fact that all of his starts prior had come at right tackle probably he's like okay i remember how to get back on this bicycle and and swing to the right even those are those are two different tasks he had that prior experience to be able to just go yes i can do this again and he did you know the beauty of that is though too in the first three to four years you come into the nfl most professional ranks probably specifically the nfl because there's 11 people right you got to have on the field most people tell you the more you can do the longer you stay around you know, and then you start to define, okay, well, I can play left and right. Well, let me, maybe I'm a left tackle instead. But that motto of the more you can do, the longer you stay around, NPF is living by that. And you got to love it. Right? Like you said, it. he basically hopped on a bike and just rolled down the street again when he went to the right side. So I want to ask you about Peter Skaronsky at left guard because Mike Vrabel was asked about why not move Skaronsky to left tackle? And it's a legitimate question. He was a left tackle at Northwestern. Why does Mike and why do the Titans believe he's a left guard? Why is it such a fit? And why is that so important to the Titans offense, Ramon? Understanding your personnel, Mike. Putting the best five guys out there. I like Peter Skaronsky's tape coming out. We love this lowers really good, right? It's like, man, he moves well. Moves like a basketball player, essentially. But here's the thing. He's a good athlete, but I think it's some somewhat limited. I think MPF, you put him and MPF on the court together, MPF is probably going to win that more times than not. But together, putting, moving him inside, a tackle type, moving inside, whether that be the arms, whether that just be his body type, 
I personally think the same was Rabel. He's a better guard than he is tackle. And I think if you put him out at left tackle for an extended amount of time, there may be some exposure there because of the height, because of the arms, because of how he operates at time. But if you put him inside, he's a strong, square-body guy that can pass protect on that blind side and nobody brings up often when you talk about a left guard. It's the same issues that a left tackle could have, except it's within a tighter, confined space. I love his pass protecting, but move him inside, keep him at guard. It makes sense to where he's one of your best five and you may be able to find a good, a better athlete that can play right or left tackle. So you're saying as a left guard, he's a really good athlete, whereas a left tackle, he's just a okay athlete. Yeah, he, and that's no disrespect. No, no, no. But here's the thing. The best thing you can do is be honest with yourself. And I think that's what Vrabel is coming from. It's like, bro, I could put you at left tackle. But hear me out. You may struggle and have one or two plays. But you're going to be an all-pro, Pro Bowl guard if I put you on. He's got the billings all you need. Athletically, he has the lineage, and then he also has a draft pick. If you're a first-round guard center type, you get noticed a little bit more. Think about the kid in, in uh, Indiana, right? We're talking about a guys that can bring that type of dominance to the inside, interior side of Quentin your offensive Nelson line. You're talking about. I mean, you have that type of guy in Peter Skaronsky. All right, let me ask you this. Based on what you're saying about great left guard, pretty good to to better tackle, is that more about his body makeup as much as it is his athletic skill set and physicality and those things? I would think his body makeup more than anything because his feet are good. Uh, you can knock the, the pre-draft conversation with the arms all you want mm-hmm. to, but I think it's his body type. He can be big, a better role grader interior small space guy than he would be on an island in the NFL. Like, I, I think people minimize how good left tackles have to be, mm-hmm. how athletic they have to be, how good you need to be able to move because you see it and it's like, oh, they're just moving in space. No, hear me out. I had to move from tackle to guard. And I could play tackle well enough in the NFL when I was in. You know, I was a swing guy my rookie year. And I can be serviceable. But over the long term... I was better suited to move inside. And it took some adjustment, a reality. I don't want to be a guard. No. What is it going to take for you to get on the field and maximize your potential? And if you're asking me, a guy that went from guard to tackle, guard maximizes his potential way more than what tackle could ever do for him. All right, so let's take this a step further as we are clearly in the weeds right now. (laughs) (laughs) The the statement has been made through the pre-draft process, and Rhett remembers this too, Nicholas Petit-Frere, is a right tackle. He's a right tackle. He's a right tackle. Is he a right tackle, or could he become a left tackle? I think it's smarter for him to be a left tackle. And here's a left the tackle yes. or a right tackle? Left tackle. Okay. Left tackle. And here's the thing about MPF. He swung a little bit in college. Played a year right, year left. Right? Correct. Uh, MPF came out young, too, didn't he? Mm-hmm. You still got clay that you can mold with a guy like him. The reason you say right tackle because it may be easier and safer to put a young guy at right tackle. Most of the young cats that are coming out right now, Darnell Wright, number mm-hmm. 10 overall pick before Peter Skaronsky, they immediately put him at right tackle for experience. That's where I'm taking it from, right? He can move over to the left. He's probably going to end up being Chicago's left tackle at some point, but it's easier for the quarterback to see the blitz to coming off the right side than it is left. The way I look at MPF is this, and the same thing and adjustment we saw from the London game against the Ravens to last week. Uh, and London, he was a guy 
that gave away the spin move to the inside. Remember watching right. Van Noy rush on him? This week he corrected it. You saw him adjust to being the athlete that we think he is because when you're a good athlete, you're going to find a way to make a way. And that's what he did. You didn't hear much off the edge when it came down to him having a week, two weeks, 13 days of preparation to get ready to be this team left tackle. It was unfortunate Hubbard went out with the concussion. He had to move back over. And that's a great place to be, too, to where you can be that flexible. Moving forward, he should be this team's left tackle. He's got the arm went for it. He's got the athleticism for it. Uh, you watch him block and put his arms on people. All right, they so, are long, and his, he's a big-body guy. So I ask you again, because the draft pundits, listen, they're, they're wrong a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks saying, no, he's a right tackle, he's a right tackle, not a left tackle. You talked about young being you, the youth involved and being moldable clay in this. His... His brain power, is that a part of it, too? Because Mike's right. He is a smart, smart young man. It definitely plays a part in it, too. Um, knowing how to in-game switch from right-sided place to left-sided place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes it matters where you go to school at because the baselines you get from your college coaches carries over into the league. Um, I know for a fact because it was told to me. When I went undrafted, but I went to Pittsburgh, it was a conversation of where you were coached by a, a, a head coach who was a former offensive lineman. Those things matter. Ohio State put out guys left and right. Some of them hit, some of them don't. But the idea that, hey, he should only be a right tackle, you know what most, most people will tell you who are in the game? That's a matter of coaching. Coaches are paid to coach. If I want you to be a left tackle, we're going to work through this thing. Uh, and it was a blessing and a curse for him to be suspended almost in a sense because after you watch some of the play and the struggles that Diller had, he probably immediately was told by somebody, hey, focus in on the left side. Again, coaches are paid to coach. And when you see them in their press conferences, most of them rather not talk to us. They'd rather be coaching and not talking, right? That's part of their job too is to coach them up. And I, you don't think about uh, what happened against um, the Falcons until you frame it the way you just did. He went from left to right within the same series when Chris Hubbard went out. Not had to, it was a three and out or they had to punt and he had to come back. He did it next play. He did. Uh, And that's where that college experience playing left and right plays a part into it. Um, That's where honestly been moldable, young enough at the time to say, hey, yeah, I'm going to just do my job. Guys are excited to participate in this league when they're young. So you do a lot to stay on the field because MPF had a whole year of being a starter. I'll say from my personal experience, when I got a taste of that, I wasn't going back to the bench. So if that means going from tackle to guard or moving from left to right, you make those adjustments. I was my team's right guard. That was until some stuff happened. I move over to the left. And you know what you do? Go to your coach. What do I need to do to continue to play? Uh They want to coach you. They want to show you how to make that switch, how to be stronger with your inside leg, your right leg for him now, Um, how to be able to know the angles on the backside. Um, What's my purpose as a left tackle or left guard like Peter Skaronsky? There is a lot that goes into it, and those are the inside intricate things that make you love the game even more when you see that you know, a guy burst through the wall and, and conquer some stuff the way MPF did this past week, last couple of weeks. Atlanta has a good defense. They do not have a pass rusher like T.J. Watt. They, they do not. So something different for the offensive line, something different for Will Levis. They line him up all over the place. What's the challenge for them, especially on a short week, 
going against TJ Watt? It's this simple with TJ. Um, the moments you think you block them, block them longer. He has a never-die attitude. You guys have watched the film and seen the tapes and the highlights just like everybody else. He has a never-die attitude. It's going to be team protection. It ain't just one person that's got to get to him. And the moment that you think he's done, you're done blocking him, push him by. That's what it's going to turn into. It's steady chipping away at the rock. And understanding you're going to have to win some one-on-ones. And that's a part of the, the hard task of the job, too. Uh, it's not the in- impossible task, but you got to have your head on the swivel. You don't get defensive player of the year. They don't just throw that out there like that. So um, it's a good matchup and a great test for this young group. Talking about Thursday night in Pittsburgh. The Steelers always are ready for primetime. Why are the Steelers one of those teams that is so hard to beat when the lights are on? It's within that organization. It is. You guys know I lived it. Uh, primetime means a lot. You gain careers off of primetime. That's always been the motto. You, you, it's not even a psych yourself up. That's when the world is watching. So you put on the show. And if you get those opportunities to be – on those primetime games, um, like a Thursday night game, Sunday night, Monday night game, you show the world why you are who you are. Um, Coach Tomlin pushes it out to guys, but the guys inherently know it too. Uh, anybody that walks into the locker room, hey, it's primetime. Uh, that crowd will be electric. Um, you're going into the Lions then, and you're going to have to fight every single quarter to try to win each quarter. What is Mike Tomlin's message leading into this week coming off the Jacksonville loss at 4-3 and three and getting ready for the primetime game with the Titans? It'll have to be because they got some guys banged up. The first thing he's probably going to tell them, nobody cares about your problems. You got to go out and play. <laughs> nobody cares <laughs> no, about your problems. Absolutely. Mika's out, so what? All right, they lost Kevin Byard in Nashville, right? You guys have running back. Okay, so what? Figure it out. Your quarterback's a little dinged up. Well, heck, their starter is too. Like, there was a lot of that that will have to be said this week. It's a short week, same timeline as everybody else. We're the, they're actually the home team. So fight through all of that nonsense and simply go get a dub. And that's what it will turn into. Just fight. This is probably going to be one of those slug-out, knock-down-drag-out type of matchups this, this Thursday. Is that why he's so good in back-to-the-wall games? Truthfully, yeah. Uh, that's the old saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid. He got a way of making everybody drink the Kool-Aid. When you have a, a coach that's a former player like Vrabel, Coach Tomlin, it's a few you can throw out there that kind of understands the mindset of guys, know how to challenge them. I always say he walks around with like a cattle prod at times, I feel like, just jabbing people in the ribs every once in a while to get you going. Uh, it would be that type of week to say, hey, get it going. There's, there's no excuses. So what you lost? Quickest way to get back on track is what? Get a dub. All right, you brought up uh, them being minus one of their big defensive stars in Minka Fitzpatrick. Leading tackler for this team, I think he has 54 tackles for them already. Uh, During Mike Tomlin's introductory press conference to start this week, he also says that Joey Porter Jr. will start at corner in place of Levi Wallace. So there's some moving parts there, but they're missing their best tackler. They are, man. Minka means a lot because that is simply just that. He either gets a spark going for him or he's a playmaker that always is Johnny on the spot. You got a young rookie, talented uh, corner, uh, Joey Porter Jr. starting this week or playing a whole lot more. I do the same exact thing that we thought Atlanta was going to do to Will Levis. I'm going to test him. Hey, guess what? If Joey Porter Jr. has an issue with double moves, Will Levis, you got an arm. Heave it. 
Let it be known like that's what you're going to do. You put a little bit more pressure on them and try to control the narrative because you guys have been to formerly known as Heinz Fields before. Heinz Field before. When that crowd gets the rocking and they play Renegade and they got them behind, you might as well close the curtain sometimes. That's what you can't allow to happen. If you control the narrative and get out front uh, and not make those mistakes because that's another thing that happens. Miraculously, the ball will bounce in the home team's favor more times than not in Pittsburgh. Uh, control your own narrative. If you want to run the ball, stick to that. Don't get cute. It's a real simple plan, especially being on a short week. All right, so the OT people want to know, where is Ramon Foster on this whole thing? <laughs> we we have to discuss this. Um, you, grew, uh, you grew up a Titans fan. Yeah. You played for the Steelers. Even just recently played. It hadn't been that long ago you played for the Steelers. And now you're part of Titans Radio, and you're on the Titans Radio flagship station. You live in Nashville. Um, how is this week going to be for you, and how do you anticipate Thursday is going to be for you? Man, Mike, you had to hit me there. I had to hit you, you there. The to. OT people demanded. And they're already asking it on my sure they are. socials and everything. Sure man. they are. This is a uh, an easy week for me. Uh, I, I told Red uh, after the game on Saturday, I was like, I got a little anxiety behind it because I like to be in the show, but I don't like to be the show. I like right. to fly low. Right. Red was like like an offensive lineman. You know, and that's where I am this week because you're right. I spent 11 years there. Uh, one of my boys was born there. The other started school there. My wife and kids, everything was in Pittsburgh. Uh, most of my adult life. And that allegiance to, of course, it set my family up with a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm, there is sure. an allegiance there. Uh, but, Mike, I got to be a pro. Uh, it's just simply put. I'm there to do a job. It'll be good to see a bunch of people. And that's where it's going to become bothersome because I'm already been asked and being pulled in certain different directions and stuff while I'm up there. Uh, and it's a lot of people I hadn't seen. I hadn't been back there since before the pandemic and I retired. So this is the first time for me. Um, of course, I'm going to try to go see Coach Tomlin and, you know, some of the guys I play with and whatnot. But I have to play it right down the middle. I'm there to, to do a job. Okay, I want to stop and be a fan for just a second. I'm okay. a big Mike Tomlin fan. Are you? I admit it. Amy Wells and I have discussed it multiple times. We are, we are both big Mike Tomlin fans. Um, I like how he goes about his job. I, I like how his teams play. I always like the fact that when he got the job – they told him, they said, well, you're going to have to run our defense because that's what we've drafted for. He said, fine. Yeah, yeah he said, Dick LeBeau's defense, great. That'd be great. Not what he was trained in, but that showed me he's a ball coach and that he understands things. What did you like best about playing for Mike Tomlin? Uh, the understanding of what the players need and how they need it. Um, he would understand, like, one of my team, Marquise. Okay, he's going to get on them and treat them a certain type of way, but – he would revert conversation to me to get to Mark Hayes. You know what I'm saying? Like his understanding of your personnel and how he can give you the uh, the rope to be a pro. You know what I'm saying? Where he doesn't have to hover over you to make sure. Because one thing he was always clear about and transparent was we're here to win. Okay? And if you're in the same boat as me and we're going to win, I don't have to hover over you. The moment that you don't, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> you know, like it well, he's not a sentimental man, is it he? It doesn't no, yeah. get much more transparent than that. Is okay. I'll let you do your thing as long as you show up on Sunday, Mondays, and Thursdays. We're okay. Uh, but the moment that you don't, I have that one option of letting you go. But it's also this too, man. Some of my best, um, my biological dad went around. I had a stepdad. Uh, my mom was a 
focal point of my youth, right? Um, and some of the stuff that you miss without having a dad around, you got to kind of figure it out a little bit for yourself. He's always been with me, a uh, transparent uncle, father figure, um, always can go to type of guy. To whereas how I manage my boys, how, hey, one of the best pieces of advice he gave me, he told me, he's like, hey, you're married, afford to lose as many arguments as you can. I was like, what do you mean lose as many arguments as I can? When I'm right, I'm right. He was like, you ain't ever right, okay? Just be okay with saying yes because the business that you're in in football, you're going a lot. You need to understand where she's coming from. You need to understand how to operate as a husband and sometimes lose those arguments and be okay with that. And there's been a lot of those life lessons that I've gotten from him to where as having a positive male figure around uh, directly in my life. My uncle and granddad, phenomenal. Sure. But like to have those adult conversations um, with a guy that's doing it himself with kids, uh, I got more out of that than probably almost anything else. It feels like Vrabel has a lot the same role with the Titans players. Yep. And and that's why I always kind of compare one to the other. That's why um, in, in the media they kind of talk the exact same way, give you exactly what you need, nothing more. Uh, you ask any of their players how they feel about them, it's always going to be something personal instead of what the game is. Right. I saw an interaction on Sunday with Sierra Tard and Coach Vrabel. And you can tell Vrabel said something slick to him about about time he showed up to play or mm-hmm, something. Sure. And Vrabel pushed him in his chest. Sierra turns around and two-arm jabs Vrabel in his chest to where I was like, Vrabel might have to go to the hospital after this. <laughs> he punched the heck out of Ray. But that relationship, right? it's the same thing you can That was a meaningful moment where he was he was praising Tier, and Tier got it, and it meant something and, to him. And, and that right there, that wasn't even football. Right. That was man to a man. And Coach Tomlin does those things with guys to where if you're messing up, we're going to call you. There's numerous times where young guys always want to figure out, where am I at? How am I? What do I need to do? He'll put it on the big board in front of everybody. I've heard these Titans players say that. You know, uh, Ben Jones was on Buck Rising show the other day. He was just like, when you go into those meetings, win or loss, and you know you got that play coming up. You dread it because you know if it's a bad play, he going to call you out, and he going to address you in front of everybody, but it's for the betterment of you and for the betterment of the team. That level of transparency, I've learned a lot of coaches don't know how to do that. No, and the other thing, too, Rhett, that we've heard about Vrabel, and I'll be interested to hear Ramon respond to this from the Tomlin point of view, Vrabel doesn't play mind games. He, he made it clear when he first got here, not into that, not that. It's, it's all straight ahead, and it's not about, oh, I'm not going to speak to you in the hall so you can think I'm mad at you or whatever. The players who play for the Titans have said consistently over six years that they don't have to deal with a lot of extraneous BS because inside the building, it's very straightforward, and they like it. And we've seen, you know, DeAndre Hopkins has come in and said he likes it. The players who have been here have gone other places say they've liked it. And it it comes down to that in a very different way. It's direct and straightforward. On the field, it's one thing. Off the field, it's quite another. And I think you're right with your analysis that I think Mike Tomlin and Mike Vrabel have much the same type of approach in both of those aspects, because you're right. What you see is what you get. Exactly. There, there are, there are no smoke and mirrors in this. And by the way, 
uh, I think you'll know it when Mike Vrabel's mad at you. I mm-hmm. think that's going to be pretty clear. But he, how many times has he mentioned to us publicly at his podium all of these things? How much he wants to involve the families and the ch- he mm-hmm. loves like they just had trick or treat mm-hmm. at Ascension St. Thomas. Well, it was late for his coaches show mm-hmm. last Tuesday night on TV. Uh, we had to we had to do the first ten minutes without him because he wanted to be there for that, and I understand that a hundred percent because that is such a family moment in our organization, and so we did we did the show a little differently because that's not just for the players and the coaches; that's for everybody in the building. Jeff Fisher loved to be a part of that, and now Mike Vrabel loves to be a part of it because they care. Yeah, this is not just the players and their wives and their children. This is the faculty. This is the everybody, everybody, administration, all of it. But yeah, I, I feel like, but with the way that you describe Coach Tomlin, I think he even before he took that job nearly two decades ago, he was born to be the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach because uh, he has that tough mentality, much like a Mike Vrabel does, a very blue collar. Rust Belt of America approach. No doubt about it. And and that's what's, you know, f- most fascinating, too, of course, with this week. A certain stuff I've been trying to temper people about, you know, expect this to happen. You know, uh, we had a huge thing in our building when it was competition. You know, two dogs, one bone. I mean, at the end of the day, it's only so many game day actives you're going to have, right? So how about you guys figure out who's gonna, who, who I'm going to address for the day? You know, one of the biggest ones we had was between Emmanuel Sanders, who went on to win the Super Bowl, and Antonio Brown. They were rookies together. One was the third, one was the sixth-round draft pick. And Coach C just put up on the big board. Two dogs, one bone. Figure it out. Both of them ended up winning in the end, but you, you don't just give stuff. You let people figure it out. Tannehill and Will Levis situation, right? Um, as a former player and now a coach, I'm sure Coach Rabel's mindset is, I can't just bench a guy because of an injury, no matter how good Will Levis sure. did. Um, but if – you know, Tannehill goes out and doesn't have a great day, you've justified me to put Will Levis in a position now because the field handles itself. No matter what we expect to happen, guys with that mindset, like Coach Vrabel or Coach Tomlin, let the game, let practice, let results, you know, kind of figure out which direction they go in. It is the beauty and the curse of the NFL. The beauty that it is just win or loss. That's it. There, there are no ratings. There are no polls. There are no power numbers. It's, I mean, it's just what the standings say is all that counts. And it's also very cold in terms of its reality. It's the worst part of it that, you know, Taylor Heineke can come in and play a good game for the Atlanta Falcons. And he did play well in the second half. He lost. I mean, yep. period. He, that's it. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. He is not getting a trophy for participation or a, or a hug or an honorable mention. He gets nothing. And on the other side, Will Levis, who had a nice game, he gets everything because his team won. Had his team lost, he would get nothing. And that's really what this is all about. The Steelers are 4-3. and three. The Titans are 3-4. and four. Bill Parcells said it, your record means that you are who your record says you are. And that's it. And, and that's why most coaches, man, the good ones, will emphasize what you just said. Like you said, there is no rankings with them. Nope. <laughs> Unless you are hoisting up that trophy, right? 
this is simply if you win, you win. I don't care if it was ugly. I don't care how it turned out. At the end of the day, we're looking at wins and losses. And and your business is to win. Like, we play a game, and that's why I always try to let people know. I love the beauty of what the NFL is because we are all, even us in this room right now, compensated through the NFL in some sense, mm-hmm. right? We're a part of the fraternity. But you get what you get in this world, though. And, and that's what the NFL is all about is production and results at the end of the day. And you will be put up on a pedestal when you get those right, right type of results. That reminds me of something, and I'm paraphrasing here, but what Coach Vrabel has mentioned numerous times, that football, while it doesn't, it isn't life because life is harsh and there's horrible things that happen, there's really good things that happen, but the football team and the organization and all that wins and losses and, and going through the, the roller coaster is kind of like life. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days, bad days. And I think that's what, uh, his approach is. And again, it sounds like that's what Mike Tomlin's approach is. It's like you can take some of that and place that in your team meeting rooms and your locker rooms that, Things are going to happen. Let's let's ride the wave when it's good, and let's go to work when it's not, and let's keep working the whole way through. Absolutely, and that's why I know on Titans Radio when we do our broadcast, at the end of it, if it's a dub, we let the people know. Enjoy that. It's hard winning in this league. It is like, hard. Uh, I chuckle every time I hear your, the, your end of the call with the uh, Falcons game. It's like it's a homecoming, and the dance is that much sweeter after <laughs> I ask you all the time, how do you come up with this? I need a little bit of that, man. Well, <laughs> well there was always a homecoming dance after, it you know, after the game. Yeah. Sometimes they were good. If you lost, like we did my senior year, the dance wasn't Yeah. The dance wasn't <laughs> fabulous. That's why people have gone to having the dance on Saturdays now. Is that why? Yeah, that's ah. why. Very smart. It is very, very smart. Very smart because after a loss, you do not want to go to the dance and have your picture made sitting on a hay bale with a pumpkin. <laughs> with a big frown. <laughs> with a what gigantic a frown. frown on your face. <laughs> um, well, And in talking about the, the dealing with disappointment, dealing with failure, uh, you know, that's what – the the question has been about Will Levis is how would he deal with that? And because he takes everything very seriously, he cares dramatically. And in this league, you can't go in the tank if you throw a pick, which he will at some point. He will lose a fumble. He will make a bad play. I mean, it's going to be part of it. The great ones come back from that. You know, Tom Brady came back from it. Peyton Manning came back. Johnny Unitas came back from it. Roger Staubach. I mean, all of them. You you have to have that baseball hitter mentality that there that failure is part of it. And there are some guys who cannot succeed in the league because they can't deal with the failure aspect. Coaches can't. Players can't. I mean, dealing with losing and dealing with failure is the hardest part and the most necessary part of this job. A, a lot of uh, conversations been had about a video of Coach Rabel catching Will Levis going into the tunnel, into the locker room after the game. Will Levis go celebrates crazy. I saw him jump in the stands with his family. He's supposed to. Sure four touchdowns on his starting, you know, his, his NFL debut. Everything goes well for him. And a lot has been made about a video that's been circulating of Rabel grabbing him. But, Mike, as much as you talk about the bad that can happen, you also have to temper the good. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think 
people seeing Coach Rabel, whether he they wanted Rabel to run and jump into Will Levis's arms, whatever the case may have been, was probably just a little bit of, hey, remember this feeling, control it, sure, and be a pro moving forward. Because this is a um, a very transparent league at times. You get what you put out. You have a bad game, those same people that love Will Levis or Tannehill or Derrick, whoever you want to name, are going to be the same ones that kind of, hey, put a stiletto in your knee a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like It's that type of feel. And so watching his and Vrabel exchange, it was, it was beautiful because I was like, that was a coach coaching. Letting them know probably. And I don't even know that conversation that they sure. had. But I probably thought, before you go in this locker room, remember this feeling. But control everything else moving forward. That's what I would have told Will Levis afterwards. Of course, it's take it for what it is. You got about 36 hours, and then we're moving on. If that with the Thursday night well, game. Yeah, well, yeah, it's shorter <laughs> now. Yeah, definitely. For Rhett Bryan and Ramon Foster, I'm Mike Keith. Thanking you for listening to the O. Peace.